Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself. So if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for Judge BHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is Star Trek Data's Brent Spiner. Sit back, relax and I hope you enjoy. So now it's the moment we've all been waiting for. Brent Spiner is an American actor, comedian, musician and singer. Born to a Jewish family in Houston, Texas, he became active in drama from a young age and went on to become a stage actor, appearing in a number of Broadway and off-Broadway plays. Arguably, however, it is his most recognisable role as Lieutenant Commander Data on Star Trek The Next Generation that we know and love him best. Spanning seven seasons and four feature films, Brent appeared alongside the legendary cast of Sir Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Satis, LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden, Michael Dorn and Will Wheaton. He has also appeared in some incredible TV shows and movies, including Independence Day 1 and 2, Friends, The Simpsons, Law and Order, South Park the Movie, Outcast, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, The Big Bang Theory and The Goldbergs, alongside last week's brilliant JLGB virtual guest Jeff Garlin. Despite claiming that he was now too old to play the role of Data, Brent donned the android paint once more to reprise the role in 2020's Star Trek Picard, which, if you haven't seen yet, is available to stream right now on Amazon Prime UK. We still can't believe that such a cultural icon is joining us this evening, and we simply can't wait to talk to him. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome all the way from California tonight's very special guest, Brent Spiner. Welcome, Brent. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, it, Jamie, right? Yeah. May I call you Samuel? <laughs> Not yet, yeah. Okay, then I'll call you Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm fine, thank you, arguably. I noticed you said arguably my, my most uh, well-known role was that of Data in Star Trek. Um, w was somebody arguing about that? I think to all of us at Judge Be Virtual, that is, that is the most well-known, that's what we know you for, but we've got lots of questions on everything that you've done. All right, well, you said arguably, so I figured you'd argued with somebody about it, and that's what you came up with. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure our CEO, Neil, has probably had an argument with a couple of people about, about what, what we think you are most known for. So we are really pleased to have you here on our Judge Be Virtual program. We Thank you. Celebrate, yeah, celebrate 25 years 
We've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active and healthy and entertained for 20 solid weeks now. And it began here since lockdown in the UK with the help of a special guest every evening. Other uh-huh. than you know, Neil pestering you on and on, what made you say yes to joining us this evening? I mean, really just that, that, that Neil pestered me until I said yes, finally. Um, not because I have any, any problem doing it. It's just that I, I, my, my least favorite thing in the world is talking about myself. And so uh, it was, I was reluctant to do it initially when he asked me. Um, most people, I think, enjoy talking about themselves. I, I get very bored with it, because um, I already know all about myself. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, you say this has been going on for 125 years? Yeah, the Jewish Lads and Girls Brigade, the amazing organization, have been running for 125 years this year. Wow. Do you think uh, 125 years ago they weren't doing a Zoom like this, were they? Don't, I don't, I don't, for some reason, I don't think they were, no. Yeah. Well, uh, so they, they met in a room or something at that point, right? Yeah, I probably didn't have to socially distance back then either. Well, yeah, you're probably right. I'm sure they didn't, unless it was, you know, 1918, and then yeah. they had to do something completely different. Uh, so, Jamie, what else? What do you got going? What's uh, what? What would you like to know? So, we're all about acts of kindness here at JLGB. We always ask our guests what they've been doing to help others, and of course, you joining us tonight, as you said, you don't like to speak about yourself. You right. joining us, massive act of kindness. But during this difficult time. Has there been something a bit more personal that you've been doing to help others? I hear that your mum turned 94 last week and you call her yep. every day. Happy birthday to your mum as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, I call her every day because, you know, uh, she's 94 and uh, we're in a position where I'm in California, she's in Texas, and uh, I may never see her again. Who knows? Uh, so I feel like I have to make really close contact with her. But um, aside from that, my... my Biggest act of kindness, I think, is uh, is to avoid slapping someone who's not wearing a mask uh, in public. Uh, you know, I see them, I want to hit them, and I don't. And that is my act of kindness. I think um, we all appreciate that. I, I wouldn't like to get slapped. I do wear you know, my mask. Good man. Good man. As well you should. For right now, it's the sensible thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. so. I think so. Yeah, let's go back to the very beginning. We've got a couple of questions about your childhood. Um, yeah. what, what were the youth opportunities? Did what youth opportunities did you have, um, and how many Jews were there living in Texas? Well, I never actually counted, but there were uh, quite a few in Texas. My uh, my grandfather came from Russia. Uh, both my grandparents did, but my my grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's side came from. Uh, different parts of what was considered Russia at the time. I'm not sure it is now. Uh, I think some of it, uh, my, my grandfather was from, is, was from uh, Vilnia, which is, I think, Lithuania right now. And, or some, I'm not sure, of Belarus or something. I, I'm not sure. But it was in that area. And my grandmother came from Odessa. And um, uh, my other grandparents came from Romania. But they all basically uh, traveled the same route to America, which was uh, by boat to Galveston, Texas, which was a port at the time. It was still a port, but it was, uh, it was a port and they had family that was already there, distant family, probably distant cousins or something like that. And uh, 
and they sponsored them, which is what, what happened in those days. So you had to have somebody to sponsor you before you could come into the country. So they came in uh, into Galveston, Texas. And uh, uh, from there, they made their way to Houston and um, eventually had kids and a business. And then I was born. Um, and uh, what, what else would you like to know about that? Anything? Uh, so obviously all of us involved here at JLGB tonight are volunteers and we, we work for, or we don't work for, but we, we volunteer at JLGB, which is a youth organization. Did you have any youth organizations or youth clubs that you went to? Yeah, uh, there was, um, well, I went to Hebrew school. It wasn't exactly a youth organization, but I guess it was in a way. And, uh, you know, I went to Hebrew school until I, you know, and then I was bar mitzvahed. And uh, I could actually do uh, my bar mitzvah speech for you right now, if you like. Uh, I haven't done it. I haven't done it in uh, a few years now, but, but I can still remember. I can still remember it. Would you like to, uh, to hear it? We've got time for a couple, like maybe a minute rendition. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I'm either going to do the whole thing, which is, uh, it's an hour and a half. It gets very deep into uh, Jonathan and Saul. And uh, no, I'm kidding. I, 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 I can just do the opening for you. Because what I said was, and I think the kids who are watching this right now will relate to this. February 2nd, 1949, was an occasion which I can hardly remember. But 13 years later, tonight, as I stand on this pulpit, remembrance of this occasion will be an everlasting light in my life. And I don't remember anything after that. So, you know, so much for it being an everlasting light. But uh, I went to Hebrew school for many years and then I continued on in Hebrew school and I joined, um, do you have AZA over there? American Zionist uh, Association? There's social clubs. Uh, there was a BBG, which was the, 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 the girls, and AZA was the boys, and there were chapters, and we had dances, and, you know, that it was, a, it was basically a social organization. So I was in that for a while. So we have AZA here, but we, uh, I think it's called BBYO um, over here. BBYO? Um, yeah, it's just another Jewish youth organization. So you've actually, yeah. you've actually already answered my next question, which was, did you have a B'mitzvah, and that amazing rendition of, how you start if you don't necessarily know how it finished, but yeah. did you go- Would you like to hear it again? <laughs> I think, I think it's- Okay, I won't do that, I won't do it. <laughs> did you go on any summer camps and did your Jewish identity shape you into the person that you are today? Uh, I, 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 to a degree, I suppose. I mean, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure how, what shapes us uh, into anything. I mean, I'm not sure I'm shaped, frankly. I, I, uh, I, I, I've never thought about that. I'm sure, you know, my, my grandparents and their, uh, my parents and, and all of my uh, aunts and uncles and relatives uh, had some effect on me uh, as, as they do on most people. And um, they were all really fine people and I'm sure they, uh, they guided me in, in ways that have been beneficial to, uh, to my life and to, uh, making me who I am right now. Um, and they just happen to be Jewish. So I suppose that, uh, that, that played into it as well. Definitely. So your career, you are an actor. Did, did you always want to be an actor? Was there ever another plan? I hear your uncle wanted you to be a doctor, but you were more into 
clowning around in school pretending to be Jerry Lewis. Yeah, that's true. No, I only wanted to be an actor. Uh, I did uh, try to um, appease him for a while. My uncle, he was a terrific man. Uh, he, uh, he actually taught us every other Sunday for like three years when I was in um, middle school, junior high school. He taught us pre-med on Sundays. And uh, we would go to his house, there were about 10 of us, and uh, we learned pre-med. So by the time I got into high school, biology classes, uh, I never bought a book, I never opened a book, I knew it all. And um, uh, it, it was quite a wonderful thing, but he, he wanted all of us to be doctors. And so he uh, persuaded us to uh, get jobs. I had a job at the Houston Medical Center, which is one of the great medical centers of the world. And uh, I worked as an orderly in the recovery room of a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Michael DeBakey, who was the eminent heart surgeon. He, he created the heart transplant. And um, uh, that was kind of miserable for me because I really didn't want to be there. Uh, I, I wasn't really interested in being a doctor. So uh, I, I, was, I was much more interested in, in playing a doctor on television than I was in being a doctor. Did, did the knowledge that you have then when you played, if you played the doctor, did yeah. that knowledge? Uh, did, uh, well, did that, uh, I'm sorry, I missed the last couple of words. It, it muted out all of a sudden. Um, so obviously you, you learn a lot about being a doctor and all the information yeah. bio. Um, so when you've played a doctor in your acting career, did, mm -hmm. did that help? Did it help? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> because the doctors I've played have all been kind of uh, eccentric and extreme and um, most of the doctors I met were very sober and very uh, you know serious and I played these kind of crazy doctors so it didn't really help me at all. <laughs> you have you had an incredibly talented and inspirational teacher for drama Pickett who helped start the careers of a huge group of actors and directors yeah. What was it that made him so successful? And what was the top piece of advice um, for acting or just life in general that you received that you now pass on to others? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not sure that piece of information came from him, but I will say his name was uh, Cecil Pickett. And he was a phenomenal teacher and a wonderful man. My class in element, I mean, in the high school, my drama class, there were a lot of people in that class in Houston, Texas, who've gone on to uh, do a lot of work. And uh, both of the, the Quaid brothers, Randy and Dennis Quaid, were in my class. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Tommy Shlami, Tommy Shlami, who is now the president of the Screen Actors Guild. And he, along with Aaron Sorkin, created the West Wing series. And um, uh, there was a, a young woman named Marianne Williamson that was in my class. She ran for president of the United States uh, for the Democratic uh, nomination. She didn't get it, but uh, it, was a, it was an illustrious class. Uh, and, and he had a very good nose for talent, Mr. Bigot did. And he, if he thought you had it, he would, he would nurture it and try to bring it out. But um, I think what he gave all of us, at least in my case, what he gave me most of all was a, a sense that I had something to offer, which I think is a very important thing. Uh, I think uh, people can have talent, but unless someone says to them, you have talent, you can make people, 
really happy or, or you know, have experiences by watching you. you. You should pursue that. Unless you have somebody who does that, uh, some people never find their way there. Now, let me say the piece of advice I would give, and this is not, this did not come from my teacher as much as from my experience. Uh, and I think every actor I know, successful actor I know would say this, that uh, if there's anything else you want to do, if you're thinking about being an actor and you think, okay, well, I'd like to be an actor, but if that doesn't work out, I, I'll be a, a, an accountant. Uh, be an accountant. Don't even try to be an actor. Uh, if there's anything else you want to do, do that other thing. Because uh, there's so much rejection and uh, disappointment in, in, in competition that you're going to face that you have to be really strong to be able to survive uh, until, if you're lucky, you get a, a decent break. Uh, so I would suggest to anybody if there's anything else in the world you want to do, do that. Don't be an actor. Now, if you can't think of anything else you'd rather do, if you think you can't be happy doing anything else, then you, of course, must do what, what you think will make you happy. Thank you. I think for lots of our viewers, we're coming up to the ages where we have to make these decisions, whether it's for our GCSE exams, for A-levels, for university, some kids even younger than that. Um, and you're, it, it's amazing advice, like, just to think, do I want to do this? Do I really want to do it? How much do I want it? And how much will I work for it? Exactly. Yeah. So we could have you on here without asking you a couple of Star Trek questions. So to help me ensure that we ask all of the best possible questions, I would like to introduce my co-host for this evening. You can call him Samuel. Samuel, it's our resident sci-fi expert, Samuel. Hi, Samuel. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Oh, I'm good. How are you? Samuel. Very good. Over to you. Oh. All right. Thank you, Jamie. And uh, thank you, Brent, for coming today. It's an honor to interview this you this evening. Oh, a thank you. Don't be a few, honored. A few questions from me before we go to the audience. Yeah. Um, so how did, how did you get the role of Data? Uh, how did it come about? And what is the character based on? And uh, did it spark from a passion from watching the original Star Trek? Wait a minute, was that a question? Yeah. That was many questions, all wrapped into one. Uh, I, I, how did I, I think you started with how did I get the part. Yeah, how did you uh, get the part? Well, I had, uh, I had an agent, um, like most actors do, because you can't get any work without an agent. Um, I had an agent, and he said to me, they're doing a new Star Trek series, and uh, why don't you read it and see if there's anything in it that interests you. So I, uh, I read the script and I thought, oh, well, this uh, Android character could be kind of interesting. So I said, yeah, I'll go up for that. And I met with uh, a, a woman by the name of Junie Lowry, who was the casting director. She's a wonderful, wonderful casting director. And she, uh, she said, I think that the producers need to see you. And I said, okay. And so I read again for the producers and I, I auditioned, I think probably six times and then they gave me the part. And uh, did you watch the original Star Trek as a child? Was there, there was an original Star Trek? The one with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy. William Shatner. Oh yeah, William Shatner, sure, I remember him. 
Uh, uh, yeah, of course. I, uh, you know what? I watched it. Uh, I didn't watch it in its first run. Uh, I think I watched it when it was on in the afternoon when I was in college. Uh, my friend Stevie Murray and I would come home from school and uh, we would watch the odd Star Trek episode and we really enjoyed it. Yeah. And um, what was the basis for Data? What was the premise behind the android character that we know and love today? Well, uh, I, I think, I, I don't know that there was a, what, what did you say? What was the, uh, the what? What was the? The premise the behind. The premise. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I really don't, because I didn't write it. Um, the, I just played the part, you know? I mean, I got a script and I kind of tried to uh, imagine this character. You know, the, I was lucky in the sense that there weren't a lot of other Android characters on television. And so uh, I could pretty much do anything I wanted and people couldn't say, well, that, an Android wouldn't do that because how would they know? So I was free to kind of do whatever I wanted. And that being said, we had really good scripts and the writers knew uh, sort of what direction they wanted to go. And, um, and they kind of took things from us and we took things from them. And uh, we got to a point where I don't think I ever reshot a scene on the show in seven years because they didn't like the way I, I played it or anyone else for that matter. Um, and uh, so we didn't tell them how to write the show and they didn't tell us how to act it and it all kind of melded and, and was very lucky and came together in a, in a really good way. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I'm pretty sure that it wasn't, it was, a, it was a part that was quite different from any other part you had played prior and that the character had uh, no emotion to begin with. Right. And then when he first had the hit the encounter with Natasha Yar and he had his first emotional encounter and eventually the emotion chip was found how did your acting develop in the creature and did you develop any skills as a as an actor after this character development uh, you know what I, I I'm not sure I uh... I think I came with the skills and then they, they mined those skills, you know. Uh, they, they saw what I could do and they started writing towards that. And so they thought, well, basically they gave me a lot of challenges along the way, a lot of opportunity and a lot of challenges. And that's sort of what you want as an actor. And uh, the more I was able to do, the more they gave me. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the, you know, those opportunities. And um, uh, thank you. I'm sure it's quite hard to remember filming every single episode of the show, or 178 of them. But did you have a favorite scene or a favorite episode that you filmed? For example, uh, going back to the 1890s, or playing Sherlock Holmes, or when you were playing three different characters in the same episode, playing Data. Data's brother, Law, and also your uh, Data's creator, Dr. Nguyen Sung, simultaneously. All of those, of all of the above and more. You know, uh, for us, we were working such long hours and so, uh, you know, we worked 
14, 15, 16 hours a day, uh, five days a week for 10 months uh, of the year for seven years before we even started to make the movies. And um, so for, for me, it was like, you know, you would, do, you would do those long hours and they would say, okay, that's a wrap, end of the day, but then you have to go home and learn your lines for the next day. Uh, so really we were working ridiculous hours and we were all very, very tired. But uh, as a result, it kind of seemed like one long episode. There weren't, it wasn't, oh, I like that episode, I don't like that episode. It was, it was all one. It was, I was Data and he was going through this seven year experience. And that's sort of the way it was for me. I mean, I always enjoyed when, when we were in what they called the holodeck. Uh, it was a room on the ship, as, as you know, Samuel, that um, could be programmed to be anything you want it to be. And, uh, uh, and that was always fun because we would do, as you said, Sherlock Holmes, and we did a Western episode, and we did Robin Hood, and we did Three Musketeers, and we, you know, so it was limitless. Uh, the, the things we got to do. Yes, uh, thank you. And um, the cast of The Next Generation, all these years later, seem to still have an amazing bond. Uh, yes. Rumour has it that you were even the best man for both Sir Patrick Stewart and LeVar. Um, and on that point of friendship, was it always planned at the beginning that Data and Geordie would become best friends? And, or did this just develop over time based on your own friendship that you formed in person as actors? Uh, no, uh, it was there from the minute we auditioned. There, actually, the audition scene, the first thing we, the, the thing I auditioned with, the scene I auditioned with, and the scene that LaVar auditioned with was a scene between Geordie and Data. And uh, it was a really nice scene. It was never in the show, but, it was what they had written for the audition. And in that scene, uh, they were uh, comrades and, and friends. And, uh, and that just continued. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, and it, it happened to bleed into our own lives, you know? I mean, LeVar and I are very good friends. And, and as I am with everyone on the show, I mean, uh, I would be hard pressed to say who I'm closest to because I'm close to all of them. Thank you. Um, and uh, that, let's, we've got some burning questions from our audience. So let's sure. get on to them now. So first, we have a question from Sam Steinberg. So oh, Sam, how are you doing? Hi, good, thanks. Good. Uh, are you on Zoom right now? I am. So uh, many actors in Star Trek are actually Jewish. So Armin Shimmerman, Walter Koenig, Leonard um, Nimoy, William Shatner, yourself, of course, and the original star creator, uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, although there are many nationalities of characters from Earth, Scottish, Russian, Japanese, uh, Canadian, and even the Vulcan state, uh, which I think is based on the Jewish priestly ritual. Uh, but I don't believe there's been a Jewish character. Do you think there are Jews in the 24th century? Wow, that's interesting. Uh... I don't know. Is I'm not even sure there's religion in the 24th century. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, uh, there is, I, I think, in, in the 24th century, at least what Star Trek is looking towards is 
sort of uh, acceptance of all beings. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm not sure, I can't answer that because of course I didn't write Star Trek. But let me just say one thing, I, I don't, uh, I've never heard that Gene Roddenberry was Jewish. Are you sure about that? Uh, a, a friend told that to me. I, I can't yeah. confirm it, I'm afraid. Okay, if he was telling you, if, if it wasn't true, I hope you'll, you'll not be friends with him anymore. Absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Sam, I, it's a good question. I don't know if there'll be Jews in the 24th century. Uh, but like I say, I, I think there'll be, I, I, I just hope there'll be people in the 24th century, to be honest with you. Yeah, I like the idea of everyone coming together, going, going into the future. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Sam. Uh, very nice question. Um, now, on to one of our younger members, um, Alex Livingston. Alex Livingston, where are you? Come on, Alex. All right, let oh, me ask. Thanks, I'm unmuted. There you are, no worries. Um, so, my family and I love watching Star Trek, and oh. one of my favorite episodes um, is um, cause and effect. So, and in that episode, you, Data, send, uh, sends himself a message back to the past uh -huh. to tell him what to do in the future. If uh -huh. you could send yourself a message back to the beginning of 2020, what would you tell yourself? If I could send a message back to myself to the beginning of 2020, what would I send? Uh, I, I would probably say, uh, by, be sure that by, by January 10th, you have your tickets to New Zealand and you're, and you're there. Go to New Zealand as fast as you can. That's what I would have told myself. Hey, hey Alex, let me ask you a question. Uh, where are you right now? I am in my living room with my parents laughing very noisily next to me. They're laughing? Yeah. Uh, well, the laugh will be on them in just a moment. Where, where are you? Uh, I mean, what town? Are you in London? Uh, London. Yeah. Uh, that's a large town in, in England, right? City, I believe, but yes. Oh, it's a city. Okay, okay. Well, uh, next time I'm there, uh, maybe, uh, maybe your folks would, would want to take me to dinner or something. Deal. My mother says deal. Okay, perfect. And his father is speechless. <laughs> well, there went Alex. Oh, okay. Thanks, Alex. Great to meet you, buddy. Brilliant. Brilliant question, Alex. Thank you. And our next question is from Eris. 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 How are you? Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Uh, uh, yes, of course. Oh, fantastic. I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, so you must hate always being asked questions about data all the time. So can you tell us some of the most ridiculous things you've been asked, or worst or most inappropriate times you've been stopped by the public? And does the good of the role ultimately outweigh the nuisance? Well, I'll answer the last part first, if that's okay. Uh, yes, of course, the good outweighs the nuisance, but I, you know, it's sort of like a double-edged sword, you know? It's, um, it's the best job I've ever had, and uh, it's afforded me so many wonderful opportunities. 
And the other side of the sword is sometimes it's a little tedious when I'm in public and somebody says, hey, Dana, you know, because that's not my name, obviously. That's a fictional character. Uh, but, um, but for the most part, certainly it, the, the positive far, far outweighs the negative. Um, I think probably this is the most irritating uh, experience I've ever had as a result of playing Data. I'm kidding, Harris. I'm kidding. Uh, so, uh, no, let me think. Uh, you know, basically, people are very, very nice. And um, when I go out in public or whatever, if somebody happens to recognize me, because it doesn't happen all that much, uh, they're, they're generally very, very pleasant. It, it really is just that thing of if, if they call me Data as opposed to Brent, um, it's not my favorite thing because... It, it, what it does is it sort of dismisses the whole rest of my life. And when I, when I think of myself, I think of myself as me. I don't think of myself as a, as a fictional character. That was a role I played and a, and a really wonderful role to play. Make sure to Brent then. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you. Yeah, thank you, darling. All right, thank you, Eris, for that question. And now we have a question from a more familiar face to you, one of our leaders, Ricky. Ricky? A more familiar face because we hang out all the time, that's why, isn't it? <laughs> Ricky, where did we hang out? We, uh, well, by hang out, I mean I follow you around. We, we don't need to talk about it, we don't need to talk about it. Um, so, um, I don't know. I really like... Ricky, Sorry? Uh, have we met before? Uh, no. Ah. Well, then, <laughs> of course you're a familiar face. Of course, uh, of course. So what, um, what can I do for you, Ricky? Well, I'd really like to ask you, because, because in my opinion, Data became an inspiration around the world for those suffering from autism. Um, <laughs> and um, did you have any idea at the time the impact the character would have? And, and does it make you feel, how does it make you feel to know that an entire generation of people who struggle to fit in mirrored the trials data went through to learn the practice of their own social skills and to, and to develop their own emotions? Well, I'll tell you what, I had no idea while we were doing a series that it was, uh, the character was speaking to, to so many young people, particularly at that time, uh, who were struggling with, with emotion and expression. And uh, uh, I, I'll tell you when I really first became aware of it is I was in my trailer uh, at Paramount um, waiting to do another scene and there was a knock on the door and I opened the door and there was a gentleman standing there, white beard, uh, and he said, uh, hi, uh, my name is Dr. Oliver Sachs. Uh, could, I, could I come in? And I said, sure. And he came in and he said, you know, you're kind of the poster boy for my work. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And, uh, and he explained it. And then I read his book, one of his books. And, um, and I thought, this is overwhelming. I mean, it's so moving to me. Uh, and I've subsequently learned uh, from being at, at uh, conventions, at Comic-Cons, I've met so many people who watched the show when they were young and, and uh, told me about that experience that they had had. I'm glad that uh, I didn't know about it too much at the time because I think I would have pushed the writers 
to address it more head on and it could have ruined the entire thing. So, uh, uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm honored uh, really uh, to have been able to be there and help people uh, and not even know about it. Um, so it was a lucky accident on, you know, in the creation of the fire. Thank you so much, Brent. Really good to hear your insight yeah. on that. And, uh, and thank you very much for coming on. All right, Ricky, thank you. Thank you, Ricky. I, I can just vouch for that because I too have autism and Asperger's. So having like such a relatable character in such a um, mainstream me media and it's in such a digestible way so other people can understand what people like me go through in order to try and get through daily life in a, from a social perspective and how yeah. we have to digest and develop our social skills in a way. Yeah. It, it, I totally respect that and understand it. And, uh, and again, I, I feel honored to have been, uh, to have been there and, and uh, to have been helpful in some way, even though it was, I, I didn't know it was happening at the time. So I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of us uh, autistic people and well, everyone on the spectrum on during JRGB, through JRGB and everyone watching today. So on a lighter note, um, we have a, our final audience question for the moment okay. uh, from Luke. 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 Hi, how are you doing? Hello, Luke. <laughs> Um, okay, so that kind of leads nicely into my question. Um, so I just wanted to ask um, whether you like sci-fi in general, so like things like Star Wars and Marvel um, and Doctor Who. So I know that you've been in Outcast and Penny Dreadful, and I also heard that you almost played the master in Doctor Who. Um, well, that's not true, but I, I would love to. I, I would <laughs> love to play the master. Uh, I, I'd love to play Doctor Who, you know? I mean, it work, don't you think? Uh, I'd be the first American Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. I think some Brits might have, uh, might have something to say about that. But <laughs> I have met several of the Doctor Who actors, though. Uh, David Tennant and Matt... Uh, uh, Matt... Uh, tell me his last name? Matt, Matt Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, great folks. And, and I've known other people who've been on the show, Don Barrowman and so on, and uh, it's a great bunch. But your question was... Am I a sci-fi fan? Yeah. Right? Uh, I would have to answer that by saying, uh, sort of, not really. I mean, it's not my favorite thing. Uh, I, I, I've seen all of the Star Wars movies because, uh, well, Mark Hamill's a friend of mine. And, um, and, but my son, I have a son, he's 18 now. And so growing up with him, uh, he's a big sci-fi fan. And so uh, we saw the sci-fi, you know, all the, the Star Wars movies and all of the Marvel movies because he, he really liked that. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to catch a, a nap in a really nice, uh, cool environment. Uh, but no, my, uh, my preference, I'm much more interested in the past than I am in the future. Uh, I, I can't get that interested in something that hasn't happened yet. Um, uh, I mean, I'm interested in things like uh, climate control and uh, global warming and things like of that nature 
that are surely going to happen in the future uh, yeah. if we don't do something quickly. But um, but I'm a documentary guy. I like I like watching uh, documentaries about things that have already happened. That's that's my preference. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Thank you so much for answering. All right, my friend. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Luke. And uh, now for a, a couple more from me. Um, oh. So, are you pleased that you returned for to play Data in the recent show on Amazon Prime, Star Trek Picard, alongside Sir Patrick? Yeah, yes. I'm pleased to have done it. I, um, I, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. It was, it was uh, you know, I had said many times I was never going to do it again. And, uh, and I really had no intention of doing it again because clearly I'm too old to play the part. And uh, I think, frankly, if you saw the movie Nemesis, which was, I think Nemesis happened about, uh, uh, gosh, how many years is it? 2002? 2002, okay. So that's 18 years ago. Uh, I think I was too old to play Data then. I mean, when, it, when I, I've seen the film one time and uh, I thought, mm, I cannot do this again because I was already looking too old, I think, for that part. And so when they asked me to do this, I thought, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. And I said, how am I going to do this? And they said, well, we'll do CGI on you and all of that. And it's only going to be in a couple of scenes. It's not going to, you're not going to have to do it for long. And I thought, well, if we can do it, make it look okay, and we can do it quickly in, in two quick sequences, uh, why not? It gave me the opportunity to work with my pal, uh, Mr. Stewart, Sir Patrick, and, um, and, uh, and I felt that the fans would have been really unhappy if I had said no, if they'd known that I was offered the opportunity and I said no, I think it would have been very disappointing for them. And I thought, well, if we can pull it off one more time, okay. But saying that, I do think I have done it for the last time at least played that character for the last time. Yep. Um, I, I, I loved it. It was really okay. good. I'm so um, and do you think the series offered the character some needed closure for, after his initial death in, um, Nemesis. in, in Nemesis? Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think so. I mean, necessarily. To me, Nemesis was pretty finite. Uh, he blew up, but um, but apparently it was it was a little too uh, jarring for a lot of fans of the show. They felt it was just too extreme and too jarring, and and they didn't like it at all. And uh, so when they came up with this, uh, this wonderful writer uh, Michael Shabon, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, and uh, Akiva Goldsman, who is a fantastic screenwriter. Uh, Academy Award winning screenwriter and Alex Kurtzman who created the whole series. I, I, I felt like I would be in really good hands doing it again and their idea of how to sort of gently let go of data as opposed to the way we did it in Nemesis. Nemesis, by the way, was also written by a brilliant writer named John Logan who uh, 
is one of the best writers in the world. So I feel really lucky that the end of this character that I played for so many years was put in the hands of this spectrum of fantastic writers. And, uh, and once again, I, I lucked out. Thank you very much, Brent. Um, it's been a real honor to be part of the interview today. And just, I appreciate everything you've done as Data and as Dr. Rokin in, in, in Independence Day and in Star Wars Rebels when you played that role. And, but that's enough from me. So we're gonna hand back to Jamie now. So thank you very much. Thanks, stay you safe, I hope. You too, please stay safe. And uh, thank you so much. Well, Jamie, are you back? Back, thank you so much. You yeah. And just letting you know, Brent, that we have had over 900 people, currently 900 people plus are watching live on Facebook. So we've got, right. a, we've got a few questions now that are outside of Star Trek. So okay. what role that you've had out of all the films, the movies, Broadway, off-Broadway, everything you've done, what's your yeah. favorite role on screen? Uh, I, you know what, you're, you're going in and out, uh, your audio's going in and out, but I think I, I, I got the gist of it. Um, uh, do I prefer stage or screen, and what's my favorite role that I've yeah. played? Um, hmm. so that's hard. I've had some really nice roles to play. I've been very lucky. Uh, I, I, I generally like whatever role I'm playing at the moment the best. And... Um, but I, I was really, I had a great experience on Broadway doing uh, uh, a show called 1776. Uh, that was, a, yeah, I played John Adams in 1776. Uh, it was about, of course, you may remember this, uh, uh, about America breaking away from this tyranny of uh, this country, this terrible country uh, on the other side of the pond. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, that was a terrific role to play. And, um, I, I really enjoyed, I did a movie called Out to Sea uh, with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, and I had a great time doing that. And um, I really, of course, enjoyed playing Data and uh, the Independence Day roles. And, you know, like I say, I've been really lucky. I've played some really fun characters. Amazing. Um, so we always ask our guests that are involved with musical theater, what is your favorite musical? Um, um, I, I think my favorite musical, that's hard for me, uh, just anything by Sondheim. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to be in uh, Sunday in the Park with George in the original production of Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway and get to know him a bit. And uh, I feel so fortunate to have worked with that genius. I think he's the greatest uh, genius of the musical theater of, of our time. Um, but if I had to go back, other than Stephen Sondheim, I really like Showboat, uh, Jerome Kern. It's, it's every single song became a standard, just fantastic. Um, but I'm a big fan of, of musicals and, 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 and more than that, I'm a fan of, uh, Tin Pan Alley of the writers who also wrote for Broadway, like Irving Berlin and, and Kern and Cole Porter and uh, the greatest music, you know, uh, composers and, and lyricists of their time. 
Thank you. I mean, I love Broadway. I love West End. I love all the musicals. So I've got a few more now that I can go and watch. Yeah. Um, we've got a few more questions now quickly from our audience. Just a couple more. So oh. our first is from Izzy. Izzy. Izzy, you there? Hi. Hi. I hear you, but I don't see you. There hi. you are. Oh, hi, Izzy. Hello. Um, so my question is, do you get nervous before, before performing? And do you have any tips on how to relax and lose those nerves before a big performance? Uh, yes, I get nervous. Um, I, I, I don't know how to overcome it. You take a deep breath and you just go. And something happens to you, you know, particularly on stage. If you walk out on stage, there's just something about once you get there and you say your first line uh, and you hear a response from the audience and there you are. And it's, and it's easy sailing from there and you're fine. It's like being home again, uh, it feels so comfortable but always, always feel nervous before I go on. And I think it's useful. I think uh, being, I, you've heard this before, I'm sure that, you, that having nerves is useful. It's, um, it's uh, uh, it just gives you an energy and a, and a uh, I don't know, an excitement. Uh, but I will say that if you get too nervous, it's going to mess everything up. And the only way that you're not going to be nervous is if you really know what you're doing. You have to be thinking. You have to be, if you're a character, you have to have objectives and know what the character's thinking. And if, as long as you know what every line, what he's thinking what, or she is thinking when, she's, when, the, when the character speaks and what the subtext of the line is, what's underneath what they mean by saying that line, if you're thinking about that, you're not going to get that nervous. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Izzy, for your question. So our next question is from Charlotte. Charlotte? Hi. Charlotte, Charlotte I've seen you. You've been there the whole time. I have, yeah. yeah. Um, coronavirus has affected the entertainment industry substantially, closing yeah. West End and Broadway shows, confusing movie release timelines, and halting a lot of TV production. From the news we see here in the UK, it looks like America's been hit hard with over 150,000 deaths. How do you see the future of your industry changing because of this pandemic? And you've been quite outspoken on Twitter. How do you think America is handling the crisis? Well, uh, well, the industry is, is uh, you know, is a prisoner to it right now. Uh, all of the arts, really, for the most part, are, are a prisoner, the performing arts are, to, to this virus and to um, the economy. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, that's a big question. Uh, how did, uh, how is it, what was the last part of your question? Because I think I could speak to that easier. How do you think America is handling the crisis? How do I think America is handling the crisis? Uh, well, and this is just my opinion, by the way. Uh, because I really don't like to tell people what to think. Um, but I don't think America's handling it very well, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, we're, uh, there's 20 million cases so far in the world, and America has 5 million of them. So we're a quarter of the, the cases in the world or in America. 
Uh, I don't know how you could, in, in, the, in your wildest imagination, think that we're doing well. But somebody, and I, no names, keeps saying we're doing really well. But uh, I, I don't think we are. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons for it. And I think, ironically, one of the problems is that we are a country that is so uh, indoctrinated in our DNA is individualism. And um, we're not a community. We're every man for himself. And that's, that's a problem. Because I think what's required right now, and I think what's worked for the countries that uh, are, are, are dealing with this in a, in a very you know, productive way, uh, is that everybody uh, recognizes the problem, recognizes what, what helps solve the problem, and they all dig in. And um, I just, uh, in America right now, that's just not happening. People are going their, their own way and people believe what they believe. And there's a great divide going on about everything in our country right now. So uh, yeah, in answer to your question, I don't think we're handling it very well. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. So I've, I've got a really quick follow-up question. Um, there are rumors going around that Dwayne Johnson might be running for president. What do you have you an opinion on that? Uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, president. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what? Why not, really? Uh, you know, when we're kids, we're, we're told that when you grow up, anybody can be president. And, and in fact, what we found out is anybody is president. So uh, why not Dwayne? Why not, uh, I was thinking Mike Tyson maybe for president. I mean, who, know, who knows, honestly. This anybody, look who's uh, you know, running the country, look who's running the world right now. I mean, almost without exception, uh, the best leadership in the world right now is, uh, is, is women. Whoever, uh, whatever country has a woman leading the country at the moment is doing pretty well. Definitely. I think we've got loads of people. We've just hit 1,000 people on Facebook. So I'm sure loads of them are supporting you. And on Facebook, we've had loads of comments of support, loads of hellos. Um, so we've got one final question from the audience for you. And that yeah. is from... Who, who is this? Oh, hey, Adam, right? Yeah, hi. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, Brent, first of all, huge thanks for coming on. A big okay. fan. It's um, yeah. absolutely fantastic to have you. Um, you've inspired thousands to study the STEM subjects, that's science, technology, engineering, and maths. And do you yourself take an interest in future tech? Are you into gadgets and, and AI and stuff? Oh, and uh, on, the sub on the subject of AI, do you ever think we'll actually see a real-life data as well? Uh, I can only hope there'll be a, a real-life data. And, and, in, and I also hope, if there's a real-life data, of course, that uh, he's just like me. Or she is just like me. Either way. I imagine he would be. <laughs> but uh, uh, my, I'm only mildly interested in tech. You know, I'm, I'm old. And so <laughs> I, uh, I go to my son when I have a tech question because he's so much more savvy than I am. And, um, uh, I, you know, I enjoy it. I, I, I definitely enjoy all of the toys uh, that, that uh, 
AI and, and, and uh, IT and, uh, you know, make available, but, um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not really skilled okay. at it. Great. Thank you. So I've got just a few more questions for you. You've been absolutely fantastic. I know we're running a little bit late, so I'll try and speed through these. What is what you? We've got loads of questions on Facebook asking what are you going to be in next? What do we all have to look forward to? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, we're not working right now. I'm, I, you've got to, I mean, I'm going to be in the uh, next season of Star Trek Picard, uh, of course, not playing Data. Uh, but I don't, I, I assume I'm going to be playing uh, Dr. Sung, uh, Dr. Alton Sung. Um, but I can't be sure because I haven't seen any of the scripts. Uh, we were supposed to be shooting uh, starting June 24th, something like that. And obviously, we're not shooting anything right now. And, uh, and we won't be until it's safe, hopefully very soon. But uh, I don't know. But that's the next thing I'll be doing. I did do... Uh, I. I did a voice thing for a cartoon I had done years ago. I played the Joker on um, uh, Young Justice cartoon series. And um, I did it again uh, right before the, the, the everything hit, hit the fan in this uh, pandemic. And uh, I did it one more time. I don't, I don't even remember if it was for Young Justice or a different show, but it was definitely uh, Cartoon Network show and uh the same guys were doing it so it probably was young justice but it was a very different take on the joker than i did before and um uh yeah and so that was that was fun that i to my knowledge nobody has seen that yet i don't know well i think all of our viewers on facebook and everyone else on the call watching are very very excited to see you um in your next big adventure in your next thing hopefully it's the star trek thing so well, these are unprecedented times the physical the mental health and economic impacts may yet affect us all for some time to come do you have hope for the future what positives do you think will come out of this strange situation that we're all living in do you see blue skies smiling ahead for us uh i i don't know i don't know i i uh I don't tend to uh, be the most positive person about the future, but um, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, I really am. I think, uh, I, 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 I think most people are basically decent. Um, I think uh, that hopefully we'll learn a lesson from this. Uh, I'm not sure what the lesson is, but I, I know one of the lessons of this is be prepared because um, we know that uh, the ice cap is melting, for example. And so uh, I, think, I, think, um, I think we need to be prepared for the future, for, for any possibility. And, uh, and if there's anything we've learned from this, th that is that, because we, are, we were all so unprepared for this and um but I, I you know i i'm hopeful let me just say that i'm hopeful uh that the future will hold good things for all of you uh, all of the young people who are watching this for my son uh i want a, a wonderful world for you guys i really do and uh 
I think some people uh, who are living right now just don't really care whether you have a wonderful world or not. They only care about the one they live in. And I think we owe you a responsibility to, to see to it that, that you have a good life and a, and a, you know, a, a fruitful existence. Definitely. There are so many changes. We just don't know what is going to come of this. Um, yeah. But prepared, being optimistic, cautious, I yeah. think going to prove to be so, so vital as well as being kind, the acts of kindness we do here um, yes. as well. Slapping people, I think is a very good one to start with. Um, but yeah, so you have been absolutely fantastic this evening. We have one final question that we yeah. always our guest to nominate, ask another celebrity to be a future guest on our virtual program and help entertain everyone that you have tonight, all the young people and children stuck at home. So if you have enjoyed tonight's experience, we really, really have done, who would you like to nominate? Any chance you can convince LeVar Burton, Mark Hamill, maybe even Patrick Stewart? Oh, do I have to, to get them to do it? You don't have to get them, but is there anyone you'd like to? I think you should send Neil after them, just the way he went after me. I, 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 why do I have to be the bad guy? <laughs> on the case, get Neil on the case. Who, would you, who do you think we should get? I, I would go with uh, Meryl Streep. I mean, that would be insane, I think. Call Meryl. Tell Neil to call Meryl. But, but when he calls her, tell him, please don't make her prove that she's really Meryl Streep. If she answers, it's her. <laughs> definitely. I think we'll, we'll definitely, Neil's watching, so we'll, we'll, okay. make, we'll make sure that he knows that. So okay. thank you so much, Brent, for joining us this evening, for inspiring. Yeah all of us. We've loved hearing about your incredible career and experiences and we're so grateful for you for imparting some amazing knowledge and performing advice for all of us. We know that right now thousands of fans are watching across the UK Jewish community on Facebook or Twitter. We can't thank you enough for giving up your time this evening. If somebody told me 20 weeks ago I'd be sitting at home in my bedroom interviewing data from Star Trek, I would have thought they were absolutely crazy. But it just goes to show how times have changed since JLGB Virtual continues to make history um, and how you and so many other celebrities are reaching out and doing some truly amazing things and acts of kindness during this time to boost our positivity. So thank you once again. Good luck with everything that comes next. We hope we get to see you on our screen and stages very soon. Please wish a belated happy birthday to your mum as well. Stay safe, take care, and we really hope to see you again very soon. Thank you, Jamie. All the best to you. That is it. Thank you to everyone for tuning in this evening for another night of our summer entertainment extravaganza and yet again being a part of history. Thank you so much for listening to Jersey Virtual. We are live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon.